All right. So welcome back. This is another episode of the Divin Roadmap Series. This is episode eight. And today it's all about Bhutan. I have got Michael and Anne with me. Michael Jerkins and Anne Cross. They are the founders of the Bhutan Wine Company. So this is a really exciting project. If you didn't have a chance to listen to episode seven, it is a really good foundation for this episode where we're going to be getting into a little more into planning, planning the inaugural harvest experience that's going to be happening in Bhutan. I'll let uh, I'll let more detail about that. But specifically today, we're going to be actually talking about a steering committee that we're putting together to go to Bhutan and basically kind of map out the big event that's happening next summer. So Michael and Anne, I will let you guys introduce yourselves. Hi, everybody. Good to see you. I am Anne Cross. I'm one of the co-founders of the Bhutan Wine Company and the CEO. Really excited to share a little bit more with you about the project and what we have going on for some trips. And I'm Mike Jurgens. I'm Anne's better half and one of the co-founders of the Bhutan Wine Company. And yeah, we're we're doing some pretty amazing stuff here. And it's it's cool to have the opportunity to share it with the global event community. Totally. That's an understatement. Pretty cool stuff. So in this webinar, we're going to be outlining kind of what we're trying to accomplish with the steering committee, the nuances of the trip, the differences between the experimental and the commercial vineyards, which is east versus west, right? Not really. Not Wait, really. Okay, we'll I get into that. that. I've got a picture that explains it a little bit more clearly than talking about it because it's, it's kind of hard cool. to wrap your head around. Cool. Well, I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys take the lead and okay. yeah, and kick us off. Well, let me try to share this deck so we can, if yeah. nothing else, look at pretty pictures of Bhutan. <laughs> there we go. And yes, guys, we are talking about Bhutan like Himalayas. So if you didn't think wine could be made in the Himalayas, you would be wrong. So this is just a kind of a high, sure. a high level view. And I thought maybe we could level set by talking just in a really high level, you know, things that are cool about Bhutan. So for those of you who don't know where it is, you can see it marked on the map. It's right above India, below China in the Himalayas, kind of right near Tibet and Nepal. It's about the size of Switzerland geographically, and it's more or less a giant oval, so it's not funky shaped. It is the, uh, the only carbon negative country on the planet. It is revered for their uh, approach to sustainable agriculture. It's a Buddhist country, so they really try to live in harmony with the land, and they they grow some of the world's best crops there in specific verticals. And one of the things that I think I personally love most about Bhutan is <clears throat> this idea of gross national happiness and this concept that the success of a country shouldn't be measured on the productivity of a society through GDP, but how happy people are through gross national happiness. And I think that's just an amazing way to live. And, and we're hoping that we can capture that spirit and energy in a bottle of wine and, and make it truly amazing. Our vision with the Bhutan Wine Company is, you know, our goal is to not build a winery. Our goal is to build a wine industry. We think we probably need, you know, at least 2,000 acres of vineyards for it to be really globally viable and relevant. But, uh, you know, we're viewing this with a hundred year timeline and thinking about, you know, what do we need to do now so that, you know, our, our grandchildren and their, their children will have the opportunity to experience some amazing wine from a, a country with very unique and, and just spectacular terroir. Now... Everyone asks, what, what are you growing and what are you planting? Where are you planting? And, and this is the million dollar question. So Bhutan's never had vinifera before. And so because of that, we don't know where the best sites will be. You know, we can make some educated guesses, but 
we have a pretty high diversity of altitude, weather, rainfall, and soil. And because of the heterogeneity of, of Bhutan, you know, they grow different types of crops in different locations, you know, so like cereal grains might grow at, you know, 5,000 feet in altitude, but fruit might grow at 500 feet in altitude. We don't really know the best spots for, for grapes. And so we are trying different things out. We have currently 10 vineyards, one that's probably going fallow, and we're experimenting with 16 different varietals within those vineyards, nine reds and seven whites. Two of the whites are hybrids. And Bhutan gets a little bit of monsoon pressure in the summer. And so we're, we're also trying to see if, if hybrids might be a viable bet for, for some of the vineyards. The vineyards range from 500 feet in altitude to about 9,000 feet in altitude, which is probably the upper limit. I think if we wanted to, we could have the highest vineyard in the world, but it would be a lot of work and I don't know if that would be worth it. So, but this all kind of feeds into the, the, the trip. And so let me kind of throw this picture up on the screen, which shows our current vineyards. And I think there's some things to point out here that are important. One is this concept of what we call experimental vineyards versus commercial vineyards. Since we didn't know how grapes would grow, we had to be very, very careful with importing foreign species into a kingdom that is, you know, revered for sustainable agriculture. You don't want to be the person that brings in a disease or a pest or a virus or, or something that's going to cause problems for the local economy. So what we did was we initially started by planting six vineyards that were all small. They're all between, let's say, one to three acres apiece at various altitudes, ranging from 9,000 down to about 1,200 feet in altitude and also ranging across the country. As you can kind of see, we have a cluster right in the middle. That's around the capital city of Timpu. We have some to the west in Paro, which is the city that everyone will fly into when they go there. We have some, some stuff to the south, including all the way to the south at Gelafu. And then we have some things in the east. And so of those, Three of them are now commercial vineyards. The vineyard marked Pinsa, the vineyards marked Norzintang and Gorshalu. Pinsa is about 20 acres, Gorshalu is about 55, and Norzintang is about 75 acres. Not all of these vineyards are fully planted. The experimental vineyards are all fully planted because we're trying everything. At the commercial vineyards, we're taking a more careful rollout by evaluating what's working the best at those sites and then doubling down on those particular varietals as opposed to trying to guess ahead of time. The, the last vineyard that I'll just mention, which I think is really, really cool, is this Gelofu vineyard, which is far to the south. The Gelofu vineyard is in a very warm location. And because it's so warm there, we are actually doing a reverse harvest. So we'll start the growing season in around September and then we'll harvest in February or early March. So you guys will have which, two harvests a year. So we'll get two harvests a year, which economically makes a ton of sense because you can optimize your winemaking equipment. The other thing that's great about Gallifu is you can see it's right there on the border. And so that offers us great access to the port of Kolkata for shipping wine out. So we anticipate that probably over the long term, our largest production facility will be in Gallifu from a winemaking perspective. But 
that experimental vineyard is only a year old. So we're still validating that this idea of growing stuff in the wintertime will work there. So far, all indications look uh, amazing. So maybe I'll stop there, Janet, and see if you've got any questions about or anything yeah. you want to feed a little bit deeper in on. Now, this is fascinating. Really, really, really exciting project. But I'm wondering, do you already have a winery? Because we've heard about the Circam winery and the incredible story about how it was named and, and all of that. But is there actually a, a brick and mortar winery somewhere? There is not. We actually have the land for the the winery we have the blueprints done we have the environmental clearances we were all set and ready to go on building that winery and then the pandemic happened which slowed right. things down considerably i mean bhutan was completely closed for like 16 months and then even when they opened the borders back up they did so very cautiously carefully it worked great for them they were able to be insulated from the majority of the impact of the pandemic but it, it slowed business down considerably in, in our case, this was actually a boom because the, the wine location for Serboom is very, very close to the capital city of Timpu. It's a beautiful site. There's already a microbrewery on the site. It's got 270 degree views of the valley. We we're going to build a nice outdoor tasting patio and, and do all this stuff. What we are learning, though, as we got delayed a couple of years, every cycle we learn more about what grows there. And what we're learning is that west side of the country, if you look over on the map to the northern town of Gorshalu, that, I'm sorry, the east side. Yeah. The east side of the country, that's looking like where probably the highest quality grapes are going to come from based okay. on what we know today. And what you don't see, what is not reflected on the map <laughs> is... There's a giant mountain range called the Himalayas right. between, between the east side of the country and everything else. And you can kind of see these little uh, red roads on the map. There's only two roads and they're a little swiggly. No and kidding, so, yeah. Yeah, and those roads, they get a lot of rain in the summertime and you have things like avalanches and stuff like that. So it's <laughs> not the easiest journey back and forth. And so we don't have a good way of getting, you know, hundreds of tons of grapes from the east side over to Serbu. And so based on that, we went back to the drawing board and we are evaluating Gelafu as the as one of the primary locations because that that trip from the east down to Gelafu is much more manageable or even potentially over on the east side, which has a lot of benefits from a proximity to vineyards perspective, fewer benefits from proximity to shipping lanes and channels. So in the in the interim, what we are doing is we've built a temporary winemaking facility at the Bhutan Wine Company's offices, which are in Timpu. And we're using a combination of that facility plus our microbrewery facility at Serboom for certain things like a cold room and lab equipment and whatnot. And those, those two locations are very near each other. So we, we have the capability of making wine in smaller batches this year, it is, but it is not a long-term solution. Okay. And and which is fine. I mean, I, I'm actually really pleased that we figured this out before we got halfway built with the winery, that how much of a pain in the ass the shipping was going to be. A little blessing in disguise there, hey? Sometimes you get lucky, you know? Wow. Lining. But it's, it's we'll funny. talk about logistics. Go, this, is, this is quite a project you guys have taken on. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> it gets exciting. <laughs> you can fly actually from the Paro Airport all the way on the west to uh, the airport all the way in the east, but you 
but it's flights it, aren't necessarily consistent. It's, an, it's very weather related. So sometimes they fly and sometimes they don't. We're there in October. Obviously, we we got delayed a few days and then ended up getting stuck in the east today. And this was one of the things that cemented. I don't know if Valentina shared with you the exciting airport that you fly into on the east, but it is small and high. Small and short, short <laughs> runway. <laughs> short runway. It's on the top of a mountain. It's it's exciting, but that's all part of the. Well, I heard there's like an article just about that about that airport because it's so amazing. Well, there's that, a there's a Wikipedia entry on the Paro yeah, Airport. It's the Paro Airport. Oh, that, it's the Paro that, Airport. Yeah. And they say that's the most dangerous international airport in the world to fly into. And I've flown in a bunch of times. It's it's fine. The other one is way more sketchy, but it's not an international airport. So, right. so they don't count it. But I tell you what, man, it's exciting. So all of this sort of you start looking at ways to get grapes, particularly from the eastern vineyards, into a production facility. If we have to go over mountains, it's going to be much, much harder. So uh, right. all indications at this point seem to, to tell us that our long-term facility will be down in Delafield. Now, let's talk a little bit about the trips because I think this is important. Yeah. yeah. But yes. Just let them see some of the vineyard. Oh, you want to see some photos? Some photos. Oh, look at these. Before we do that, tell me what, what grapes are you growing? Okay. So we can pop back up. So on the reds, we primarily planted... Uh, international varietals and all of the Bordeaux favorites, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, Cap Franc and Malbec with Pinot Noir and Syrah. That was kind of our first round. The second round of vines that we imported, we imported a lot more of those, but we added Sangiovese and Tempranillo based on the recommendations of our viticulturalist who had now had the time to study the terroir for two or three years and, and had thought that those might be doing well. And he's right. The Tempranillo in particular in the Gorshalu Vineyard is just crushing it. So that's super exciting. On the white side, we we did the same thing, you know, with International Rital, Savignon Blanc, Chardonnay, Riesling, and Shannon um, were our primary ones. Shannon, I think it's going to do great in the hotter areas. Um, Shannon actually was the first vine species to come online down at that Gelafu Vineyard. And it, it just looked like Jack and the Beanstalk. I mean, the... We had grapes within two months of planting first year vines. I mean, it was that wow, that spectacular. Yeah. So I think Shannon's going to do well in the warm parts. Riesling will do better in the cooler parts. Samuel Blanc and, and Chardonnay are doing reasonably well across the board. We planted Petite Mansang for two reasons. One, I love Gironson. <laughs> I think it's just awesome. Yeah, me too. Uh, but uh, it's also super rain resistant. And so because of the monsoon pressure in the summer, that's what we settled on. And then later we added it Vidal and Traminette, once again, based on the recommendations of the viticulturalist and the, the monsoon pressures that we are probably going to expect. So I know okay. without, without a doubt, with 100% certainty that not all of these grapes are going to work there. And I also know with 100% certainty that probably not even all the vineyards might work and that's okay we're trying enough stuff and we're not committing to any particular form of action. We're trying to capture the terroir of Bhutan in a bottle. And if that ends up being warm climate Shannon, awesome. If it ends up being cool climate Merlot, that's great. Too. Like uh, we don't know. Right. So I, I think that's what makes it so exciting, right? Like this is so new. And I'll tell you just as a, as a wine geek for eight years now, we've been working on this thing and I have just, 
I'm trying to imagine what that first bottle of wine is going to taste like. <laughs> right. I just hope it's as amazing as everything else in Bhutan that you eat and how good it tastes. But yeah, it's. Yeah. It's you know just, what? I've been, I've heard from a couple of people. Not a lot of people have been to Bhutan, right? Obviously for a, for a number of reasons. Yeah. It's not, it's not an easy country to visit. Well, I know a couple of people who have been, and so far, what I hear the most of is that every single thing that you eat in Bhutan, that's grown in Bhutan, is the most delicious version of that thing that they've ever eaten. So high hopes for the wine. That's kind of what drew me to the place in the first place. I did, we didn't go there to start looking for wine, <laughs> vineyard, you know, land acquisitions. We were there to run a marathon in the Himalayas, and everything I ate was the best fruit or the best vegetable I'd ever eaten in my life. And I'm like, the grapes here have got to be spectacular only to find out they didn't have. So we solved for that. Love it. Love the intensity. <laughs> That's super cool. All right. <clears throat> so, so yeah, let's talk about the trips. So for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm hoping that everybody listening to this does, the Bhutan Wine Company has granted Club Divin members the exclusive right to participate in the first ever Himalayan harvest. So the inaugural harvest of the Bhutan Wine Company, which is happening next year, which is going to be July of 24. But this year, Michael and Anne are going to, well, well, we're all starting to plan basically a steering committee trip to map out the logistics, because as we've just seen and heard, it's not going to be a, a, a simple plan to get groups of people around and, and sort of break ground on the Sirkham winery and, and, and figure out what needs to be done and kind of map out. It's like, it's basically a year's trip, right? That's well, exactly right. And what we found okay. is we did sort of a quasi dry run in October where we had a smaller group of people come over and we went to almost every vineyard except for Galifu in a week's time. And it was a shit show with travel and everything <laughs> else. And so I think what we've determined so every time you come to Bhutan, you fly into the Paro airport. That's how you get into Bhutan. And so you'll okay, notice so that Paro, it's all the way to the West. And then the, the main cities are Timpu and right around Timpu. And you can see kind of the vineyards there. So what we envision is that probably everybody that comes is going to do one of two things. They're either going to come into Paro, then go into the center of the country to Bajo, Serbuminyusapong. And so that'll be pretty much the same for, for both types of groups that come. But then one group will go from there to the east, and one group will go from there south to Pinsa and Galifu. So the trip okay. experiences will be slightly different. And this is really going to be a function of the weather that occurs the week that people are there and a function of what the vineyard tending needs are at that point in time. What we're seeing, and we learn more about this every every time we do a cycle. So Gallopu is probably going to get harvested in around February or March. Norzentong and Gorshalu all the way over there to the east. Those two vineyards will probably be harvested in the end of July. The Lingmatang vineyard and the Pinsa vineyard will probably be harvested around end of August, early September. You can't really see it on the map, but both of those vineyards are at about, well, Pins is at about 5,000 feet, I think, and Limnatong is at about 3,500 feet, whereas Norzentong and Gorshlu are both down around 12 to 1,500 feet in altitude. So it's actually cooler, even though those sites kind of look like they're the same altitude. 
they're not, <laughs> they're higher up on mountains. So those will be, you know, late August, early September, along with Paro. And then the three vineyards clustered there around the capital city of Timpu. Those are probably going to be late September, early October harvest trips. So the point of all this is depending on when someone's coming and depending on the weather that, that week, we're going to potentially go different places. And part of this is we're just going to have to be adaptable on the fly. So it makes it a little bit like a, a choose your own adventure. Like we're not exactly <laughs> sure what you're going to do when you get there, but we know it'll be cool. Awesome. It's going to be an adventure so that, no matter what. It'll definitely be an adventure. So that's sort of the plan. And I think what we want to do this summer is with the steering committee, take two groups over, one that will do the east and one that will do the west and the south. We think we're probably going to start the first week, which will be the end of July, will be the target will be to take that group to the east. Because then if weather dictates that we can't, we'll have another chance for the following week to take the second group to the east. That is the okay, plan. So we're, looking at, we're looking at dates of July 23rd to the 30th for week one, with July 30th being an overlap for both weeks. So there'll be one night when everyone gets together and kind of has a big dinner. And then the second week is, is July 30th to August 6th. Yeah. And the overlap yeah. may, may be Saturday. It may be the 29th, but regardless. Okay. So it may shift okay. a day or two one way, depending on once we get kind of the logistics solidified, but yeah. Okay. And, and this is the steering committee trip, but the main, the main event next summer is going to be 10 weeks long. Is that right? That's the plan. Yeah. So we are going to have a little bit of grapes this year and we do plan on, on doing some micro vinification to make kind of a commemorative first bottle. So the people that go on the steering committee, they will have the opportunity to participate and, and do a little bit of, of work to be able to say they contributed to the first barrel of wine ever made in a country, which is spectacular. That wine will more than likely be a blend of a bunch of different grapes from a bunch of different vineyards. And truly just as a museum piece, you know, here's the first barrel. The first commercial release will be the following summer, 2024. And so, yeah, people will, will have a lot more volume. I think we're anticipating 40 to 50 tons from next year's harvest. So we'll have a lot more opportunity for people to get involved with working in the vineyards and winemaking. We want this to be a... a, a an inclusive trip that allows people to experience Bhutan. So obviously we're going to let people go hike the tiger's nest and go to the golden Buddha, do some shopping and eat some great food. But at the same time, kind of wrap that around a wine experience that will let them spend, you know, a couple of days in vineyards. It would be awesome if we had wine for people to drink while we were there and we will, it probably just won't be Bhutanese wine <laughs> um, unless, unless we get super lucky this year, but I, I kind of doubt it just given our current, yield estimates. So that's the plan. That sounds awesome. So what kind of, of work are people going to be doing in the vineyards on both trips, actually on the steering committee trip and in the, and on the main trip, other than harvest, is there going to be, I mean, is there anything else that needs to be done? Well, so there's a lot of things that could be done. So for example, we're constantly scouting new vineyard sites. And so it's entirely possible that we could have acquired some new vineyards by then, at which point, you know, maybe people get to come and help us plant vines, which would be awesome. I, like I remember when we planted the first vineyard in Bhutan, this is like, I didn't understand about just how embedded the culture is into everything that they do. But so we show up and there's a ton of monks and they're all there to bless the vineyard and they're doing this special ceremony and I got to plant the first vine in the country, like the monk, the head monk that was doing the blessings. And then every vineyard after that, you know, it's 
they pick the day that you want to plant it because of num numerology and then you know the yeah. monks will come out and, and chant for a day to bless the vineyard and make sure it has all the trappings of success the first vineyard we planted while that was going on a rainbow came out one of those circle rainbows around the sun which apparently was like this it's huge very auspicious sign <laughs> yeah so so plant the vineyard in Bhutan is dope. Like, let me just put it that way. That's that's some fun shit to do for sure. But I think, you know, depending on when people are there, like if people show up in July, that's an awesome time to go out and help with harvest in the east. Unless the storms are so bad that we can't get over the mountains, at which point we have a couple options. We can take helicopters. The weather can be bad enough to fly a plane, but still okay to fly a helicopter, or it could be so bad that you can't fly anything. So we might opt in for helicopters or we might pivot and say, hey, we're going to go, you know, down to Pinsa, you know, towards the south, at which point that vineyard's not going to be ready for harvest. But maybe we can do some leaf pulling, some weeding, some pruning, maybe some okay. grafting, depending on if we're trying to switch over these these vineyards. You know, I, I said we know that not every varietal is going to make it in every location. So we're going to be you know, grafting in the ones that are looking better than others. We'll have even some things in the wine production process. And even th some things in the wine production process. We'll yeah. we'll have this micro vinification site set up this summer. And then next year, obviously, we're gonna have the need for more capacity. And we're, we've got a couple different strategies that we're working on for that. So I think the, the cool thing about it is every week of that trip will be an individual unique experience. No person is gonna have the same experience on two separate weeks. Everyone and everybody's their, getting put to work. Right. Important Everyone's getting to, to work. Oh, you know, we want to. This isn't <laughs> too bad. This isn't slave labor. <laughs> yeah. it's not, I'm not going to be out there like the overseer cracking the whip, making people dig. You know, they want people to have a good time. Yeah, but also, you know, to be able to say that you had a personal hand in the first ever harvest of a country. I mean, who gets to say yeah. that? Who can? The last time anyone yeah, exactly. got to do this was in New Zealand in the 1850s. You know, this hasn't been done. Right. So what a cool wine experience. Making wine history in the Himalayas. Yeah. Who, yeah, who can say that? Not very Not many people. Very people. <laughs> no. Probably about 120 Club de Vin members. <laughs> That's <laughs> not who can say it. And, and Anne and myself and a couple others. Yeah. And so, so cool. But we also want to give people the opportunity to experience the culture, you know, experience the cuisine yeah. there. I will say Bhutan is Buddhist. And the Buddhist religion is against killing things. So it's the vegetables tend to be a lot better than the meat. <laughs> I just put it that way. But the vegetables or fruit are the best you'll ever have in your life. I don't know. Did, did Valentin tell you the story about the guava? I think you guys told a little bit of that story about the kid that was at the end of the suspension bridge. The bridge with the bucket yeah, of guava. I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Like, it's a guava. And everyone's like, what? Really? A guava? It's an amazing wallet. Yeah. So that's that's just kind of the experience that you'll have. And they have this really bitching, like, Anza farmer's market person. They have this outdoor market that's just all these stalls with all these produce and spices and just... And let me just tell you, they're very... They really rely a lot on their chili peppers. So the Ooh. market in particular has peppers everywhere, but the cuisine also has a lot of peppers. And for someone who... You know, it's a little spicy for me. So they, they figured out how to like tamper it down a little bit for Anne. But, but I love it. <laughs> Anne special. Oh, that's awesome. We might have to think about our wine pair. <laughs> totally. I'm thinking some off dry Rieslings might go really, really well. Maybe some. You got to plant some, some Riesling then. Come on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good call. We're working Good on call. it. Awesome. So, so that's, that's the plan. I think, you know, we, 
for the people that want to be a part of the steering committee, I understand we've already got uh, a, a lot of um, interest and appreciation of wanting to be included in yeah. that first group, but our timing on it's short, right, Jana? We need to have kind of the attendee list yeah. finalized in the next probably two, three weeks in order to- Yeah, so we do stuff. have a- we do have the list. So we've contacted uh, a bunch of people. If anybody is listening to this and hasn't been contacted and is really interested in participating in the steering committee trip this summer, just shout, you know, shout out to Dave or I. It's J at clubdvin.com or D at clubdvin.com. We're really looking for hardcore wine enthusiasts or people, you know, who have a knowledge of, of wine or viticulture, right, Michael? It's, it's kind of about what value you can also add to this project by coming and attending. So we are kind of handpicking. 100%. And I think, you know, we we want to create this experience for, for people, but at the same time, selfishly, like I'd love to, to get value out of that and, and having people who are knowledgeable that could look at things and have ideas of things we could do differently or things that we could try is a huge boon. So if you're in it just because you want the boondoggle, I would suggest go next year. <laughs> next year will be much more boondoggly than the, the steering committee trip, which will be probably a little bit more chaotic, I would guess, as we as we figure stuff out. You're going yeah. though, right, Taylor? Oh, like I'm just I'm always loving the language that comes out of your mouth, Mike. It's great. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about about cost though. So steering committee trip versus the trip next year. Is there a big difference? What are we talking about here? So the cost, I mean, this is, we're not trying to make money on this thing. There are certain costs of going to Bhutan that are immutable. So for example, there is a tourist tax fee just to be in the country. Historically, that tax was about 80 bucks a day. And then about six months ago, they bumped it up to 200 bucks a day. And so the, will it stay 200? You know, that, that impacted our cost estimates by about a grand a week, right? You take a hundred and... 40 bucks times seven, you know, that's an extra grand a week in, in costs that we weren't anticipating. The following year, could it go up again? Could it go down? Don't know. So that's one piece that's unknown. Second piece that's unknown is the <clears throat> exchange rate between the Noltrum and the, the local currency in your home country. The Noltrum's pegged to the Indian rupee. And so it, it bounces around <laughs> quite a bit. So depending on when you go, you might get better deals or not better deals. So that there's probably a 10% fluctuation with that. There is a little bit of, of seasonality to when tourists are there. And so the, the transportation prices, the flights, the hotel oh, wow. change a little bit. So my guess is it's hard to, to be precise and say, the steering committee trip is going to cost generally the same as the following year. I think they'll be directionally the same. I think also for the trips next year, we we had talked about doing a bit more with uh, bringing in a bunch of good wine for everyone to drink while we're there. So that that cost, I don't think we're we're going to incur that for the steering committee. So my guess, net net, the big trips next year will cost let's say fifteen to twenty percent more, but that's a guess. Mm -hmm. um, we'll know a little bit more as we get a little bit closer. This is this is the the challenge and the excitement of Bhutan is it's a dynamic environment. So you just have to be flexibility adaptable. necessary. Yes. You got And like, up, do we need helicopters? Do we need things? So yeah, do we need <laughs> got it. Case in point, helicopters <laughs> cost it. more than planes and you can fit fewer people in them. So, uh, oh, this sounds like the adventure of a lifetime. I'm so excited. I'm so, so, so excited. 
and we've only got, I mean, we're doing two weeks for the steering committee trip and we've got space for eight people total in each week. So it is, these are really small groups that we're talking about. So it's going to, it's going to fill up quick. I know we already have a kind of a short list formed. So if anybody's interested, now's the time to speak up and yeah, what are we missing? And we'll go gallivanting around in the Himalayas doing wine stuff. Gallivanting. Okay. I will be gallivanting. I expect there everyone to gallivant. There will gallivanting will occur. You you Excellent. have our word on that. No, it's it's. Uh, I I think as as we previously mentioned, you know, we really want to make it more more than just go to a vineyard and and really try to immerse yourself in the Bhutanese culture and do some of the the amazing things that uh, that Bhutan has to offer. And so we've got that on there. Obviously, hiking the Tiger's Nest Monastery is kind of a must do for everybody that goes to the country. I mean, that's yeah. one of the most Isn't beautiful like places the most in the world. Photographed place on earth or something i think it's i heard gotta that be one of them. i can tell you we have about a thousand photographs of it so <laughs> we, we've, we've done it a few times we've done our part still take pictures. yeah i've yeah. hiked it what five times now and it never gets old oh, i can imagine valentina had so many exciting stories to tell i'm just i'm thrilled to be well, able to she also hiked in, in the rain which i heard exciting. coming down in the rain yeah <laughs> this is Oh, man. Got a little slippery. Yeah. What's amazing is, is, so you think about Valentina. So when she came over in October, that was where we did the giant trip where we tried to see everything. And we got stranded by weather, like on three different days. We were only there for like seven or eight days. And it was it was just nonstop madness trying to get around in the country and do everything that we wanted to do. And that's why we went back and said, we have to bifurcate these trips or our people are just going to be burned out. But even with all that, she still came out and was like, that was the greatest trip I've ever had in my life. Like, cool. Now he's a warrior. Awesome. Okay. So we have kind of covered, I think we've covered what we need to cover for session one. Do, We're going to do be we doing have, another open session. Jana, do What's we have the ability to, to take questions from whoever's on the thing? I don't know how the live stream works, but. We can. If anybody wants to put their questions into the live chat on YouTube, please go for it now. And then otherwise, shoot your questions over to us. Join our Substack, first of all. That's where you'll find all the Club Divin news, all the new episodes of the podcast. So we're going to be doing another session of this that's open to the public in a week from today, I believe, at the same time. And then the two sessions after that are going to be closed to the people who are then confirmed to attend. And we're going to get into much more specifics about the pack and kind of, you know, tips and tricks about Bhutan. But next week's session is going to be open again. So that'll be kind of the last chance to ask your questions openly. I mean, you'll be able to ask questions if you're an attendee, if you're confirmed in the two weeks following. But yeah, next week is the last open session for the steering committee sessions. And then we'll be talking a lot more about the, the big inaugural harvest event, uh, those 10 weeks after that. But yeah, I don't see any questions coming up here. If you have, okay. again, feel free to join the Substack, ask us there in the chat or Send, send us an email to uh, j at clubdevin.com or d at clubdevin.com. Do you guys want to have your email addresses in there as well? Or should we direct? I'm happy to let people email questions to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you got the it. One thing I would say <laughs> is, is you can go to the butanwine.com website um, and you'll see lots of pictures, a lot more information on each of the vineyards. And there's just a lot more detail there. If you just want some background info, certainly that's easy to do. Yeah. And we, I will admit it, we are late. We also have a Bhutan page set up for our website that is still in final edits. So we're going to get some more information on that up there as well. And then we'll be publishing that link for everybody to visit. So cool. yeah, amazing. 
Well, thank you guys so much. Again, I have goosebumps every time we talk about this and I'm just getting more and more excited. So really looking forward to it and uh, and looking forward to next week as well to get into more specifics. Yep. Sounds great. We'll tap that. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Yeah.